Hello, my name is Greg Chastain, and I am the president of Voices of Hope, along with Ed Siegel, the vice president of Voices of Hope, and we're back for another season of the Cardinal Cafe podcast. Welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. Feels like it's been forever since we've been behind the microphone. And we're actually in the same room. We're not locked down in our little hole in the walls that we were for <laughs> for the first eight or nine episodes of this. I know. This is, a, this is a whole new season with a whole new environment. It's a very interesting setup in my basement here, but it, I think it's going to work. We have our first guest back tonight. We want to welcome Sue Tab from Magic 106. Hey, Sue, how are you? Hi, guys. Thank you Hi, so Sue. much for having me. This is so fun. Well, thanks for coming on. Ed and I haven't done this in a while, so might, you'll have to help us through since you're the professional here. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. A lot of pressure on you. <laughs> no, you guys got this. I was trying to think back when we actually met you, because we met you when you worked for um, Dave Thompson. It was a while ago, but you were working with Dave. I think you helped us out a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's funny because my radio career kind of took a pause. So I worked in radio for five or six years, but then I went to PR. I worked for Thompson Communications for like nine years. And when my kids were older and I could do the crazy morning shift again <laughs> and get up at 3.30 in the morning, <laughs> I went back to radio. So I met you probably 10 years ago now. You had just started the, the organization. Yeah, this is our going into our 12th season. 12th or 13th. Well, two, whatever 2009 to now is. I'm not good <laughs> at math. but <laughs> Yeah, no, you guys had just started. And now I look back and I think about where you've been and how far you've come. And it's been an amazing journey. Thank you. Yeah, the funny thing is back then I didn't know you had a radio career prior to that because I'm not from the area. When they said, oh, Sue's got, she's, she's back on the air. I'm like, what do you mean she's back on the air? I have no idea. <laughs> When did you actually start in Boston Radio? It's a very funny story. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> in, but it's not typical. I actually was working for a cable company as a marketing manager. I was listening to the Maggie in the Morning show for years, and their female personality left. I thought to myself, you know what? I literally had never been in a radio station, not even an intern. But I knew from listening for years that that would be like a good fit for my personality and my skill set. Everyone laughed at me, but I literally faxed Maddie a note that said, I'd be perfect for the show and here's why. And I had to fax it because this was back in 1995. So I'm kind of <laughs> dating myself here. But I faxed him the note and I had to make sure it wasn't too crazy. I didn't want him to think I was a stalker, but I wanted him to know that I was really familiar with the show. Lo and behold, I faxed him the note, never thought he'd read it or acknowledged me, got home from work that day, and there was a message on my answering machine from Matt that said, I don't know who you are, and you have a one in a million chance of getting this job, but I thought your letter was clever. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And then they brought me in, they auditioned me, and I think they liked, I think he liked that I didn't have a lot of experience because he could kind of teach me his own way. I had to decide, you know, at that point I had to decide do I give up a safe job for a job that they were trying me out? And that's exactly how they said it. We're going to try you out. If it works, we'll sign you to a contract. If not, you know, bye. I had to really figure out whether I wanted to risk that. And also if I failed, I was going to fail pretty publicly because <laughs> you're on the air. <laughs> so I was like, what do I do? I think I was 29. You know, I didn't have a kids yet and I didn't have a mortgage. And I thought, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I can a bruised ego. I can get over that. So I took the job and I stayed with it for five years. And, you know, it was great. I left on my own accord, which was wonderful. Just a 
sort of have a job that had more regular hours. But that was my start. And not many people get to start in a top 10 market for a big morning show. Yeah. I happened to somehow, you know, fall into it. That's a great story, though. It's a, it's a bold move. But, you know, if we had known each other, you could have just said, hey, Ed, can you talk to my cousin, Maddie? <laughs> Is he your cousin? No. But I tell everybody that just because we have the same last name. <laughs> no, and you know, people were like, do you know him? I said, I absolutely don't. But he gave me, and I will always be grateful to him for that. He did give me my start in radio and he trusted somebody who had, you know, no experience. He saw something in me and I'm very, very grateful for that. My husband to this day says that I should write a book, How to Get a Job You Have No Business Even Applying For by Sue Tab. <laughs> what a great title. <laughs> Was that back when uh, it was in the parking lot at uh, Wellington Train Station? Yep. 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 I, By the Big S, the Big S Subway substore. Yes. It was uh, 99 Revere Beach. Yep. Uh, I worked at a Bank of New York Mellon. It was called Mellon at the time, Bank of New York. And every once in a while, we'd drive by and there would be a uh, concert in the parking lot <laughs> over there. We're like, yep. oh, when they left, we we're so bummed. We we're like, we got to, I think we got to see Bon Jovi once or hear him <laughs> as we drove by. He was playing outside yeah. or something. It was very, it was and very across cool. the street was the Wellington Circle Drive-In Theater. Now you're getting old. I know because I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a Mepha guy. Well, so. now that whole area has changed so much. Right. Oh yeah, it's it's totally changed. After 108, is that when you took your hiatus, or did you? What was your next step there? After that, I I just did some part-time reporting for a newspaper, and then Dave Thompson called me and said, you know would you like to work? And I said, well, I only want to work part time. And I thought that would be a deal breaker, but it wasn't. He took me on. I ended up working more than part time, but I loved it. He's a great boss. And I met so many people because his PR firm, you know, some PR firms, they only do high tech or they only do retail or whatever. And he does all different kinds of, um, he has all different kinds of clients. So it was a really fun way to meet. And I'm still close with a lot of the people that we did work for. I just really look back on it pretty fondly. It was a good time. Yeah, we were lucky to meet you and uh, keep the connection yeah. going and doing what we do and having you and uh, having your voice out there supporting us is, is what we love. Because people we meet along the way the same way, we'd like to bring them with us and, and uh, be able to share in their stories. I want to get into your other story we want to talk about in a little bit. I've always wanted to ask the morning people on radio, what time do you actually have to get, what is your, what is your schedule? I see those people like on TV at 4.30 in the morning, like what time are they, act, <laughs> do, they do they actually have to get in there? And here's the thing, at least in, like, at least in radio, we don't have to look the part. We just have to, you know, sound okay. The poor TV people, they have to be dressed and make up and look perfect and be on the air at 4.30. I get up at 3.30. Wow. I know a lot of radio stations now that I see like the, the sports stations, they stream and, and things like right. that. But do you, do you have a live stream that you do that you kind of have to look like you didn't roll out of bed? Or? <laughs> we don't do a live stream right now. I mean, there's an audio live stream, uh, but not a video live stream yet. And I do live pretty far from the station. So I'm in Newburyport there in Brighton. So it yeah. is a little bit of a trek. But there's no traffic at that time of the day. <laughs> That's exactly right. There's, you know, I can get in really, really quickly. I kind of enjoy my ride in because at I leave around 4.30 in the morning. When you're driving at that time, in today's world, everybody has access to you all the time, but nobody's going to call you at 4.30 in the morning. So it's such sort of a peaceful time for, for me. It's the one hour of my day that I can yeah. just be, which 
is kind of nice. Yeah, it's just, I've always, in the morning, I've like, I don't know how people are so cheery. It takes me to at least 11 to <laughs> want to say hello to anybody. So yeah. <laughs> I'm always amazed at the morning, the morning drive teams yeah. and the morning TV teams and all those. Uh, they're very chipper. I'm like, oh, yeah. I need four cups of coffee before then. Well, and you have to be on all the time. You can't really have a down day. You have yeah. to always be on. There's more to it than just talking on the radio for four hours a morning. You know, we do a lot of planning to make sure that we're hitting relevant topics. You know, we coordinate interviews. We we write news, we write entertainment, and then you actually have to sound yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, but it's so true, though, that that time that you have to yourself between leaving the house and getting to work. Because I know when Dana, my wife, for those of you who are wondering who Dana is, uh, when she actually was in the office and just going from our house in Stoneham into Boston at nine o'clock in the morning is, a, is a, just a horrendous commute. And that was her time just to listen to her books on tape. She doesn't have to be worried about, worried about any meetings or, or anything else. So she always enjoyed just having that time to herself until the day actually started. And it was crazy. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I try every morning to remember to be grateful. Like when I'm crossing over the Tobin Bridge and I see, generally speaking, the skyline of Boston, it's still lit up. You know, the sun hasn't even come up yet most of the time. I try to remember that like, I'm pretty lucky to have the job I have to wake up Boston every morning. And there's not a lot of people who will have that opportunity in their lifetime. I try to remember that even when I'm having a crazy morning. Those times also, you think about how lucky you are. Because one of the ways I discovered um, what we want to talk about a little bit was uh, your episode of Exceptional Women that you that you were on, <laughs> that they talked to you about your, your cancer journey. Yeah. I knew a little bit about it from just some of your posts and everything, but was it a segment on one of your episodes that had you go and test? I think that's how it started, wasn't it? Was some, somebody on one of your shows? Maybe you can explain that a little bit. It was, but I found that intriguing that something that you do that you loved caused you to find something that you needed to take care of. What was strange is 12 years ago, I had like a, a really mini lumpectomy in radiation. 12 years had gone by and, you know, who thinks there's going to be a recurrence after 12 years? Everybody talks about that five-year milestone. And I went for a routine mammogram. I knew right away that something was wrong because having been through it before, I know that when they tell you that the radiologist wants to speak to you, it's not good news. I got the diagnosis. I had stage one breast cancer, but it was in the same side that my radiation was, and they can't radiate the same breast twice. So I ended up having to have a, a mastectomy, which I just never imagined I would ever be on that journey, but there I was. And then I had to make the decision to do one or both, and I, I decided to do double. But I think what you're referring to, Greg, is I shared my journey. I shared my diagnosis, and I really had to think about, is this something I want to share? I mean, I am a public person, but do I want to share this? And I struggled with it for a couple of weeks, and then I decided that if I could get one person to get a mammogram, who would be putting it off? Because you have to remember, this was right. COVID, and a lot of people weren't getting their routine checkups. And not just for breast cancer, for all types of cancer, as you guys, I'm sure, are aware, you know, nobody really enjoys a mammogram. You know, you go because you should, but people go, oh, well, COVID, I'll put it off, I'll put it off. And I thought if I can get one person to go in and maybe get an early diagnosis versus, you know, a late stage diagnosis, then it would be worth it. 
And after I went public with it, I had two listeners who were on the verge of canceling or putting off their mammogram who reached out to me and I've kind of helped them along the way now that caught cancer because they heard me talking about it. And one woman had the same surgery I had, but she said, I literally, had I not heard you talk about it, would have blown off. It's amazing. I mean, one of the things that the nurses at the Tamir Center told us, pretty much their unit went to a COVID unit. So a lot of the cancer patients had to be moved out of that unit for all their treatments. And one of the things they were really worried about is people not coming in and finding out more of their, their diagnosis or if they were diagnosed for the first time. It's great that you put that out there and people listen to it. And they, and they went in and found what they found. Yeah, you just never know who you affect. And it was hard for me. I mean, I think the hardest part of my treatment, I had the surgery. It's been a year now, last February, February of 2021. And it was the height of, you know, they had had that surge after the holidays and it was terrible. You couldn't go anywhere. My husband had to drop me off at the curb of the hospital Yeah, on the day of my surgery. Because of COVID, that's right. You had to do go th- to those treatments by yourself. And that was so hard. And it was hard for him. I think he'll tell you one of the hardest days of his life was when he had to drop me off and drive away because they wouldn't even let him in the lobby. And I had to wake up in the recovery room alone. So that is hard because, as you know, when people are going through this, whether you're a family member or you're a patient, the community part, and that's what Voices of Hope is so good at doing because you guys are so great about creating a support group for, for people and a safe space. Is, and you really need that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the things we're really proud of. And, and also that's one of the messages that some of our members who are also survivors and have gone through this as well is to have to do that alone, as a couple of them had to do during COVID as well, was harder really than the, than the uh, diagnosis at the beginning. It's just that they had the fa- and it was really hard to the family member. Yeah. Like, I mean, I can't imagine sitting out there waiting for you to right. come out or, you know, not being able to be in there and, you know, tell you. The other thing, too, is for me, I always need a second person in there because every time they tell me something, you know, like you're sick or you got this, I want my wife there to write stuff down because I'll forget. So to have a second set of eyes and ears, especially when you're told yeah. that diagnosis I'm sure your brain just goes somewhere else and right. somebody else could be there. But I'm, I can't imagine not having somebody there during that time. No, it's, it's so tough. I got home from the surgeon. I couldn't believe how wonderful my neighbors, my friends, my coworkers, everybody was. I mean, man, did they rally. Mm. And that means so much. And I'm hoping it's going to make me a better friend and coworker because I remember in the past, I'd always bring meals and do things like that. But a lot of times you don't call or, or send a note because you're like, well, what am I going to say? You know, and one of the things that I learned from this is it doesn't matter what you say because I don't remember what anybody gave me or sent to me or exactly what they wrote to me, but you sort of remember the people who showed up. Yep. Yeah, we have prayer chains on our um, Facebook group all the time yep. for somebody going through something or a family member or a friend or something like that. And if it's uh, one that you put out, you just, it's, it's amazing how much better you feel just knowing other people are there. Right. They have your back. It's yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing I spot our group. Like I said, we, we do a lot of theater and we do, you know, we do what we do, but our biggest, our biggest thing is the family that we've, we've created right. and be able to reach out to people and just surround them when they need it. Yeah. That's the thing I'm most proudest of is that, you know, people will come to rehearsal having a really bad day. 
whether somebody is going through a cancer journey or just a bad day in general, but they know when they come to rehearsal that there's going to be so many people there to support them and to help them no matter what it is. And it just highlights how, how incredibly important that is to have that available to you. And it really does help. Yeah. And have you guys in the morning, your voice is talking about these things and also just getting people through their morning. Some mm-hmm. people have to sit through that 9 a.m. traffic <laughs> and they love listening to you guys, your banter, and it brings so much joy to everyone. And that's really what your industry does for people and um, what you're doing now by talking about it in the healthcare industry. It's, it's, it's huge. No, I mean, in some of that, I felt a responsibility. Magic is, you know, a, a huge station. We have a huge following. Our demographic is primarily women. We have a lot of male listeners too, but primarily women. And when I put all of those things together, I'm like, how can I not talk about it? If I have this platform, aren't I, you know, responsible to, if I help a couple of people, then I felt responsible to do that. And Yeah, and two people will contact you, but you have no idea who didn't contact you that did it and probably thought, well, I, I you know, I did right. it because she said it and I needed to go do it, but didn't want to reach back out because they're very shy. We get that all the time, yeah. people. Or so, didn't know how to. Yeah, didn't know how to. So you don't know how many people you reached, which is amazing. Hmm. I'm just glad that we can all gather again and that, you know, everything's coming back because you guys are performers and it's just so wonderful. I mean, I'm seeing it at the radio station, all the concerts are coming back, the events are coming back, the appearances are coming back. And then when I heard about your show, I was like, oh my God, like this is, and I love, you know, I love the North Shore Music Theater and I love Karen. And I met her, I think through Thompson. And now she's a friend of mine as well. To see everybody again, be able to come together as a community, I think is, we all are starving for it. She's another person we rallied around for the, for her COVID journey. Um, She came on and talked about that. And Again, she was just like, like you said, there was so many prayers that were said to her from people she'd right. never met and it just got her through, got her through that time. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's yeah. all people need. They need to, they just need to know that there are people there for them during those really, really tough times. You know, the human connection is so powerful. Yeah. And I've always asked her, I said, why do you want to, why do you continue to talk about your journey? Cause I know losing Steven was hard and she's like you, she, cause I, I need to tell the story so others understand. And, and if there's one person out there that I helped. That's what I, that's why I do it. She's another one. I've had her on Exceptional Women as well. She's just an incredibly strong, inspirational person. Unimaginable loss that she faced. And then she has just been so gracious on the back end of it. I hope that I would be her. I hope that if I had faced what she faced, that I could come out on the other side the way she has. It's been amazing. Incredible woman she is and how strong she is to be able to... uh, to come out on the other side of that the way she has. One of the interesting things that I did read when I was just doing some, some research about your journey is you had made a statement in one of your, it was just an article that I was reading, and I don't know if it was before you went in for surgery or if before you were going in for treatment. There was a gentleman sitting there, and you said that he looked at you and said, you just go in there and do what you have to do, and then you come out and you live your life. I found that to be like one of the most powerful things that I've, that I've read. I will tell you, that man changed my entire perspective and how I faced treatment both times when I went through this. He was probably in his late 80s. He was sitting in a Johnny and he said, I've been through this many times, young, young lady or something like that. We both were just sitting in our Johnnies waiting in the waiting room to go in for our radiation appointments. And when you're sitting there, 
it's sort of weird. The playing field is leveled. You don't know what anybody does for a living, who they are, what their background is. You're all sitting in a Johnny. You're all sharing this common experience of cancer treatment. It was my first radiation treatment. I was starting to cry. Even though he was much sicker than me, it turned out, recognize the fear in my face. And as a human being, just sort of reached out to me. And he said, you know, look, young lady, just go in there and do what you have to do. And you come back out here and you live your life. You're going to be just fine. And I thought if this guy who said he was facing, I think his second or third cancer um, diagnosis, who was like in his late 80s, what I found out later, like a week or two later, he was on the front page of the Marblehead Reporter. It turned out he was a renowned physician and a World War II vet and had this absolutely amazing career. We were just two humans mm-hmm. facing cancer that day, sitting on a bench, and I had no idea that he was this. He just had this whole backstory that I never cried another tear. Like I, I walked in there and I was like, oh. he's right. I need to put my big girl pants on and get in there and, you know, face this. This is not bad. I knew my prognosis was okay. I didn't know what his prognosis Mm. was, but it sounded like it was much worse. So I thought if he can handle this with such grace and courage, then I certainly can. And I think it also makes you understand the impact of even a stranger's words sometimes, like how a kind word or um, some supportive advice or whatever can change people's course. Yeah. We've, we found that through our journey here, just, Mm. you know, some of the things that people going through and it's just, it's just a, a one or two word little thing that, you know, helps them get, get through it or moves them to the next level. So it's, yeah, it's exactly that. Yeah. It's not some big, it's yeah. not some big flash of light and epiphany and like, you know, <laughs> some word from God. It's just, it's a simple passing with that gentleman there. He helped me face it with a positive attitude because mm. I was feeling very sorry for myself. And I was like, no, I need to be strong and I know I'm going to be okay. And this too shall pass and I'll get through it. And I have tons of support and support is so, is so important. I mean, it's so joyful to watch you guys too. I mean, your voices of hope brings joy to people and we all need more of that. And even though you're raising all of this money for cancer research and doing all of these wonderful things that are making a difference, by the way, as somebody who's gone through treatment, like, thank you, because I had mass general surgeons and I know that some of the money that people like you guys raised helped me have really good care because of the research that was done and the milestones that have been reached. So thank you for that. That's huge. How much have you guys raised now? Like a gazillion dollars? We're about to finalize last year's check. Unfortunately, last year's of COVID is slowing us down, but we'll be close to $900,000 when we finish this one. So we're clo- we're getting close to a million. million. We right. wanted to be a million in 2023. We might just get there. Uh, right. But COVID has really cut us back the last right. few years. But, but we're still like just so grateful that yeah. even though we didn't have we weren't able to put on shows and we've watched many of our our friends who just have their own theater groups and they just do theater for theater, they don't raise funds for anything else but other than to sustain themselves some of them just weren't able to sustain themselves and they've had to fold their organizations. It's just really sad to see that, that go away with all the work that they put in. But we've been really fortunate that because we, we're a fundraising organization first that uses theatrical performance as a vehicle to raise funds. So people knowing where the dollars go that they send our way still 
gave people the motivation to donate to us. And we've still been able to do do the things that we want to do, even though COVID has had put a damper in a lot of that. So we've been really fortunate. And I will say, I never want to do a virtual show again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love doing all of that video. Oh editing. my, I've never, I I've never, um, <laughs> I, it's like, we're like, we're, so we decided to do a virtual show. We're like, Hey, we'll shoot some fun videos and put them out there and get people to donate. And it was like a nine month project to do an hour and 15 minute virtual show. Live theater is so much and it's so much more satisfying, too. We're virtual yeah. now, so we're back to live theater. April 23rd and 24th at the North Shore Music Theater. <laughs> I feel the same way about radio, right? Our show is live every day, and it's so satisfying. because yep. You get one shot at it. You give it your best shot, and then it's over, and you move on to the next thing. But something that's super produced, is it's a different energy, too. I know when, at the height of COVID, they sent us all home, and I have a makeshift um, studio in my basement, and Kendra, my co-host, and David was at the studio because he had to run the soundboard. But the energy isn't right. the yeah. same when you're not all together. It's just so exactly. much more fun when you can play off of each other. And I'm sure as performers, you guys know that more than than anything that you need that and the physicality and all of that is so important and you guys have a big show coming up excellent yeah april 23rd and 24th bring a lot of friends <laughs> yes bring friends that's that's the one thing that we were concerned about will people come back to the theater but we went to new york as a group 72 voices of hope members went to see a show <laughs> we went and saw jagged little pill because sean allen krill became sort of a friend of ours during the show he came on our first podcast and so when they reopened we said we're going to come back down and we took 72 of us down there <laughs> The theater was packed, so right. I'm hoping it's going to stay that way here. Come back. Come see us. No, people are starving for it. People want it. They, they want it more than ever. It, it brings a sense of normalcy back. And like I said, it brings joy to watch people sing, dance, perform, whatever. And all of us need that. Everybody's mm -hmm. had a really hard two years. I don't care. I mean, mine was especially hard, but mm -hmm. everybody, everybody's had loss and everybody's yeah. had struggles. and just to be together. And the North Shore Music Theater is such an awesome venue because every seat's a good seat. And they have some great concerts coming. Yeah, they have some great live concerts coming. Yep. But before, usually we're one of the first ones that opens it, but they've got shows like, like every week, yeah. week almost coming up starting in March. So we're very excited about right. that. I was so mad at baseball for their delay. It's like, we need, it's like, we need this entertainment, you know, too. with everything that's going on get over yourselves like do you know and you know they keep yeah. saying we're well we're, we're entertainers well then do that <laughs> how many millions of dollars do you really need i was out of my mind also because i have a huge crush on kike hernandez and i had bought a very expensive jersey of his last year and i was like if they don't come back and that jersey has to hang in my closet <laughs> i am going to be so triggered and when you're talking about the kind of money they're talking about, it's like Monopoly money. Right. Well, so at least you're not the guy that bought Tom Brady's last touchdown pass football. <laughs> I, oh. I was like, wow. I know. I'd be I'd be really, really upset at Tom Brady. I if think I Tom, was that guy. Tom should help him out. Was it half a million? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, half a million dollars. But granted, if you have half a million dollars to spend on a football, it's probably not a huge. <laughs> yeah. A huge thing, but I think Tom should help him out. Tom, I, I do. Right, it's Tom's fault. Good yeah, point. it's all Tom's fault. <laughs> you should have one episode of uh, Exceptional Men and invite Kiki on your show. <laughs> oh, you have no idea. Yeah, I have a big crush on him. 
I mean, he is a family, believe me. And, and, and I hate to say it, but I think he's probably <laughs> young enough to be my son. So I don't want to be creepy about it, but it's fun to watch when you sort of have yeah. a person that is your person, you know? Mine is Xander. I love Xander Bogart. Yeah. I just love watching that guy play. So hopefully he's got one more year. Hopefully he'll stay somewhere. Right. Before we let you go, exceptional women, who's your next coming up? We just had Ed's wife, Dana, was on this weekend. It was awesome. Thank you very much for that. Absolutely. I love her. I love Dana. She is, I mean, she's your musical director, but she's just the most passionate, authentic person. I enjoyed her so much. You know who we have coming up? This weekend, the first ever female commander of the USS Constitution. That's awesome. Commander Billy J. Farrell. Yep. She was on the Today Show recently. She's been everywhere, but yeah, she's the first ever female commander. That should be really old Ironside. So we're really excited to have her. What is the schedule for people? Every Sunday at 730 to 8 a.m. The show has been on for 25 years. We've won yeah. over 20 Gracies. They started winning Gracies far before I was involved with the show. So, you know, the show had a long history of success before I joined. I was able to kind of jump on board and, and thank God they had established just a great national reputation for quality. I mean, we have guests from, I've interviewed Drew Barrymore, Priscilla Presley, um, and then we interview like a kid who had a lemonade stand and he, you know, or she, I should say, raised a ton of money for Alzheimer's because the grandmother has Alzheimer's. You know what I mean? Like we have everybody from big stars to the people next door that are just out in their communities making a difference. And so we try to have quite a variety of, of different people. The only thing you have to do is be out yep. promoting positive change. And, and that's why it's such a great series. We need we need more of the those positive stories out there because the news has so many of, of the other side. It's nice to l- listen to those and, and hear what people are actually doing rather than believing like Twitter is the real world. <laughs> There's actually people out there doing good. So right. it's a wonderful thing. And the other thing about Exceptional Women that I like is it's a deep dive. Just like this podcast, you get to talk for 30 or 40 minutes. When you, I do news mm-hmm. and I do entertainment and there's short little bits of information because we just don't have the time. But when you do a half an hour program, you can really connect with people and you can really get some backstories and you can get anecdotal information and you can really engage the audience that way. Right. Yeah, yeah, when we started this, we were like, oh, there'll be like 20 minutes, and yeah. every one of them is either can cut into two, one and a half hour, 45 minute episodes. We it's talked just, to Sean Allen Krill, I think it was over an hour. Like an hour and a half. And, and it's episodes. just because there's it's just so much information and so much good that's out there with people right. that you want, you want to highlight that. All the good you're doing in the community. With not with that, I've, you know, I've seen you out at other organizations. You did a, a, a catwalk sort of thing, and you, do, you help out the North Shore Cancer up there. So it's not just. It's not just that you're filling the airwaves in the morning and making people have a great commute. You're also, after that, you go out in the community and do just amazing things. Making a difference. Making a difference, yeah. We try. And, and you know, we just partnered with this um, organization that um, a 14-year-old girl founded, which was One Wish Project, and she creates birthday parties oh. for kids in homeless shelters. And we never thought it would caught up, catch on the way it did, but we did a holiday campaign, and our magic listeners... 2,300 toys for the kids' birthday parties. We thought we'd collect 2,300 in two weeks. Yeah, people want to do good. Yep. And when they find things that they want to do good with, they come out in droves, yeah. A lot of people are afraid to ask. 
but so many people are out there that want to help. That was always my thing when I started this. I was never a salesperson, so I was there was like you have to ask. I'm like, well, I'll okay, I'll can you give me a dollar? You know, I was like. <laughs> They're like, no, you have to learn how to ask. So over the 10 or 11 yeah. years we've been doing this or whatever it is. Now um, we learn to ask for $100,000. Like, I've learned how to <laughs> do the ask. and Because it's always hard. you know. Because other people, especially in the last two years, people are struggling with their dollars. And right. you want to make sure that you're not reaching out to someone who's having a hard time saying, hey, can you throw us 10 bucks or whatever. I did, you know, it's just, you, get, you have to time it and, and make sure it's, it's the right time. And, um, and you guys, I mean, I think you've built so much awareness around Voices of Hope. I mean, from the point where you were, you know, very local to now being really well known throughout greater Boston. I mean, you guys have, you guys have performed at Symphony Hall and did you sing at Fenway? I feel like you guys sang at Fenway. I did the Bruins. <laughs> um, it was the most scared I've ever been in my life, but we sang at all the major, you know, Gillette, Fenway, the garden for the, we're Celtics, like our sixth or seventh year yeah, in a row. And, and I just did the Bruins. But like you said, the only reason we got to sing at the Bruins, it was American Cancer Society's awareness night and they knew us. So they said to the Bruins, Hey, why don't you ask them? Because we've done it f uh, for the other team. So it was yeah. really cool, but yeah. I'll never do it alone again. Yeah. It was, I was, I was horrified. It was terrifying. <laughs> but I bet you, I bet you did well. I'm always, I'm always self-critical, but it was, it was, I'll tell it to you off air sometime how terrifying it was, but, um, yeah, so it, it, it is good to, um, we get a lot of ass now right. yeah. and it, sometimes it we have to say no, which is tough because we're all volunteers and people have a lot of their things during the day and all of our members work. So we can't always go and fulfill somebody's uh, slot that they want to come and, and have some music and reach out to us so it's sometimes it's tough to say no but sometimes we have to but it's but like it's you said always it's great to be asked it's always nice to be asked and that's we're so happy we asked you to come on our show yeah <laughs> this has been great i it's it's an honor to be to be on the oh, show it really is thank show. you for yeah, having we thank me. you for all your support and for uh you know even when you put something out on facebook a lot of people follow you and it's always nice to have you say hey come see voices of hope and then <laughs> you never know like you said you never know that one person that comes to the show might be the person that gives us our millionth dollar right. you have no idea right. oh wouldn't that be fantastic ed will just wrap it up here yep we will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode we're actually oh we're actually having cheryl benteen from the manhattan transfers coming on our next podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She actually sang the national yes. anthem awesome. with us at Fenway one night. Yep. She came with us. She's, she became, a, I don't remember how we met her, but we became a friend of hers too. And so she's going to come on and talk about her cancer journey. Was that the night that uh, Tommy Lasorda sang with us? No, that was a different night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, all right. Um, so April 23rd and 24th, <laughs> for those who are wanting yeah. tickets, you go to nsmt.org. What else am I missing, Ed, before we... Um, while we have the show that we're really focusing on, but we also will be back with, was it our 12th or 13th year for the golf tournament, July 21st at Four Oaks Country Club in Dracut. It's a beautiful venue. Everybody, we've been there for two years and everybody's had a great time. Yeah. The course is always awesome and the people are fantastic. Yep. The website for that will be going live shortly, but you can go to vohboston.org and look for the Barbara Bird Memorial Golf Classic logo, and that'll take you to where you need to go. Exactly. And Rogers and Hammerstein's a grand night for singing April 23rd and 24th. You can go to our website or nsmt.org and get tickets, or like you said, vohboston.org if you just want to make a donation. And Sue, thank you for coming on. We love having you. 
It was a blast, you guys. Thank you. Until next time, have a good night, everybody. Good night, all.